I was sitting and I was thinking today, why was this degree so transformative for myself and my life? Just by me graduating, being the first in my family, it can really change other people's worlds. Going to college is a transformational experience, and yet many students find themselves isolated, and many people in the field of higher education wants to know why. In order to build a just, fair, and prosperous society, there are a few foundational elements that are necessary, and that includes access to education. I'm Sally Glickman, co-founder of The Graduate Network and host of our podcast, Moved by Degrees. In season one, The Comebacker's Odyssey, you will hear about the journeys of three extraordinary adults, Craig Toombs, Eva Gamez, and Kimberly Lowe Sawyer, who you heard in the opening, followed by Marianne Rainey, who you'll hear more from later, along with our other special guests, Sue Jin Jazz, Paul Harrington, and Jennifer Schramm. But first, let's meet Kim, the star of this episode. My name is Kimberly Lowe Sawyer. I'm 50 years old. I, I obtained my Bachelor of Science degree at Chestnut Hill College, and I ended up obtaining my master's in human services a year later. Since then, I enrolled at Holy Family University, where I was pursuing my doctorate in education. Hopefully, I'll be uh, completing my degree uh, May of 2022. I'm proud to say that I'm a longtime 50-year member of North Philadelphia. I currently reside in my family home. And because of that, I've seen a lot of things change over the years. North Philadelphia, like the rest of the world, has changed drastically. Crime has escalated and it's more blatant. And the constant publicity of our wrongdoings in North Philadelphia, there are still many great people like myself who have values and also pursue degrees and are professionals. We don't have a chance to highlight them nearly enough. I've been nicknamed the banner lady in the neighborhood. I will put banners out here for something that uplifts and empowers because our neighborhood needs to heal and I, I do too. Ever since Kim started her second college journey more than a decade ago, she's hung banners on her front porch proudly and prominently marking her and her daughter Kyla's educational milestones. Those banners in the heart of a community where educational success is elusive represent more than one person's achievement. They represent an alternative future that is safer, more secure, and attainable for those who see few options for themselves. They convey hope. So Kim's story is about more than Kim. It is about a transformed future where economically vulnerable adults have the opportunity to achieve their educational aspirations and where everyone has someone like Kim to inspire them. My daughter currently uh, attends Temple University. She's a second year student. And her banner, though she's a class of 2020, still is displayed openly and proudly outside our home. And I was told by my neighbors to keep those banners up because we need to see more of that. And it inspires me too. After a year or so due to the pandemic, I will say it's a bit worn. And hopefully by the time it falls, I'll be putting a new one up with me being the class of 2022. 
this story, those banners and her neighborhood, I honestly had chills because it takes me back to how this work is really transformational, not just for individuals, but their families and their communities. This is Marianne Rainey of Ascendium Education Group, a nonprofit organization committed to helping learners from low-income backgrounds reach their educational and career goals. We spent a lot of time talking with adult learners. And when we asked them about their motivations to return and complete their degree or credential, more often than not, it was for someone in their family to make someone proud or to be an example for their child. And we know that one of the indicators of the likelihood for an individual to complete a credential is the educational attainment of their parents. So I often think of this work as impacting generational change. And Kim's story reminds me of the adult learners I spoke to who were seeking to just make someone proud and set an example for others in their family. And I think sometimes we forget the ripple effects of education in that way. One thing Kim and I have in common is that at one time, we were both traditional age students at the same university. I asked her about her time there. I attended Temple. My family sent me off with good wishes, and because I've had good grades throughout high school, um, they figured I would just figure things out. But some things doesn't come in a syllabus, you know, um, navigating campus. Um, where are the resources? I didn't know they were even resources. I come from school where you, you, you go to class, you meet your teachers, and go home. I didn't know about all these other departments. We're talking about a major university. And many of the classes are um, lecture halls. So you're talking about one or 200 students who don't know, you know, anyone. And um, you're just kind of one of many. And I did go to Temple University on my own. I didn't go on a buddy system or anything like that where I had someone who knew someone that could have kind of checked up on me. So um, that feeling of being isolated, it wasn't a fault of the college as much as... um, I think there's a part, everyone played a part in that, including me, you know, if you want to be accountable. But you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. One person could have made all the difference. The shift in in the paradigm and thinking about improving students' college readiness really needs to focus on institutions and, you know, institutions need to improve their student readiness. This is Dr. Sujin Jazz. Executive Director of California Competes, a first-generation college student herself, she is leading an organization that sits at the intersection of higher education equity and the economy. We focus on the state policy work to shape the incentives that institutions have. Um, And then we also work with institutions and the county and the city in which which they exist in helping them in rethinking the way they approach their students. We'll circle back to Dr. Jez in a bit. In the meantime, when we left off, Kim had just stopped out of Temple University. She went on to work for the city's prison system for close to a decade. A life-threatening pregnancy for her and her baby forced Kim to leave her position. For the next six years, she focused on raising Kyla in an increasingly dangerous neighborhood and regaining her health. Kim lost her voice during her illness and learned sign language to communicate with her infant. By the time Kyla was a toddler, her mom had taught her to understand basic Spanish and French. By the first grade, 
Kim had worked her magic to enroll Kyla in a prestigious private day school with a full scholarship. Now it was her turn. It's, it's so funny. Um, when I went, finally went back to school, I was so intimidated by trying to go back to a foreign place and having lived and not sure how I would do a second go around that I gave myself 12 years to obtain a bachelor's degree. And I look forward to being class of 2020 with my daughter getting my bachelor's degree because I was already programmed in my mind that I was going to keep having setbacks and failures. But I wanted her to see that even with grades with a lot of red markings on it, that your mom was going to finish what she promised that she would finish someday. But before she could graduate, which she did in three years, not 12, she had to take the first step. Kim told me the story of how she found her way back to college through what was, in 2008, a new program called Graduate Philadelphia. One of my good friends, she was thinking about going back to school. I supported her. Uh, Graduate Philadelphia was in a gallery downtown, and so I caught the bus and met her at the gallery. While she was meeting with one of the advisors there, I'm looking around um, the nice office, and I've, one of the nice people would say, well, can I help you? And I said, well, no, but I started asking questions. And so she said, well, just come sit with me and let's just talk. Um, and, and it was really a warm, pleasant, comfortable experience talking about you know, my educational background and what was going on. I had many reservations about the school thing. And as a parent, you put your children first. To make a long story short, we got to a certain point where she said, well, it's quite possible you, you can go back to school. But I also knew during that time that it costs to sign up, it costs to do application fees. And there was some shame in knowing that all I had was, all I had was bus fare and enough for lunch. So as, as much as it seemed quite simple to pay a $25 or $35 application fee, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And up until that point, it was like excitement was building, but at the same time, the, the number one issue came about was could I afford to even apply? And when she said, we're waving the fee, Her name was Monique Gilchrist. Little did she know that she changed my life. So that day, my friend and I both re-enrolled into college. Graduate Philadelphia was created to help adults like Kim. People who started college, stopped out before they earned their degree, and now did not have a clear path to return. This was a first-of-its-kind initiative and was designed in collaboration with the leadership of a dozen local colleges and universities. The economic case that inspired this work was based on a study by Dr. Paul Harrington, who leads the Center for Labor Markets and Policy at Drexel University. He had quantified the earnings differentials experienced by Philadelphia residents based on their level of educational attainment. I asked Dr. Harrington if the case for college completion is still as strong today as it was 15 years ago. So when you take a look at 
this kind of fiscal impact, the size of the earnings gain of, of a bachelor's degree is just gigantic. You know, so if you look at the size of the lifetime earnings advantage, you're going to just be blown away. I was blown away by this because it's gotten even bigger than the last time we did this. But if you have a bachelor's degree, your expected lifetime earnings were about $2.8 million. If you had some college but no degree, or in even an associate's degree in that group, the earnings were less than half of that. Your lifetime earnings were one point, about $1.3 million. And bear in mind that people with associate's degrees still earn considerably more than people with just some college, no degree. So if you're some college, no degree, the size of your, your lifetime earnings is probably more like a million. So, so getting a bachelor's degree is a gigantic, gigantic uh, uh, lifetime earnings advantage. And why is that the case? Well, because at any point in time, your probability of being in the job market is higher because you have a bachelor's degree. If you're in the job market, your chance of being employed is higher. And if you're working in the job market, your average wage is usually higher, and the number of hours of work that you work is also higher. So the combination of these four things just push these wages, you know, to very high levels relative to everybody else. So, you know, if you want to understand income inequality in the United States, understand this. It's very closely associated with the level of educational attainment. Meanwhile, Kim was facing her first day of college in nearly two decades, I asked her about the experience of actually setting foot on campus. That first day was pretty rough. My very first day of school, I had a panic attack. I literally could not breathe, and I literally fell. I'm not exaggerating. I literally fell in my classroom from the anxiety and nervousness of not knowing what to expect and who would be there. My teacher at the time was really um, impressed because of the condition I was in that most people wouldn't have came at all. It got easier because one thing I noticed is that when I paid attention to who was in that classroom, it was people who looked just like me. They were parents. They had work clothes on. And everyone had their life experiences and professional experiences. I, I believe that was the ideal place for me, considering mentally what it takes to, to get in that classroom. Like they would say, the hardest, day, the f- hardest step is the first step. I'm wondering what you would tell the powers that be about how they could have made it easier for you. Every campus I attended, I was there during the daytime and it's this big welcome party. Balloons, the parents are there with their other kids and, you know, the freshmen or whoever. They're just having the best of times. And then five o'clock comes. Now, mind you, it's um, a lot of times non-traditional students, comebackers, their first day as well. The lights are dimming. Security's there. <laughs> you know, um, they might be uh, sweeping up a floor or something and emptying out the trash from all the festivities from daytime. That sets the tone from day one. That if I'm not young, if I'm not of a different ethnic background, that I don't get the same treatment. I don't get the same welcoming. Representation matters. Marianne Rainey of Ascendium Education Group. And I don't just mean about student representation, but also faculty, staff, leadership representation. And there are numerous studies on the impact of what a sense of belonging does for students. We need people to be able to see themselves represented in where they work and where they learn and where they live, because that tells us subconsciously that we matter and that we belong. So one of the trends that I've become 
really fascinated with recently is the concept of time as a measurement of learning in the traditional higher education model. If you are an individual experiencing poverty or coming from an economically marginalized community, if you don't have access to a car, you are relying on a public transportation system. And in rural communities, that might not even be a reliable option. If you work a minimum wage job in the food service industry. You may not know your work schedule until the week before. And if you take those aspects and you compare it to our traditional higher education model of learning that is based on time, seat time, the credit hour, it communicates to those students that this isn't for you. So rather than the system or the institution changing its service delivery model, we're asking students to accommodate to us. So really, I've been interested in these trends to break down some of these aspects of education that has have served as a barrier for our most vulnerable students. And those students who especially are the ones that can benefit the most from higher education. Ultimately, I think sometimes crisis can be a catalyst for innovation. Dr. Jez concurs and told me some of the ways her organization is working with California's higher education system to become more welcoming to adults. That is, how colleges are becoming more student-ready. We strongly believe that California's economic strength will depend on shared prosperity. So with the growing awareness that adult learners and comebackers are an important population that these institutions need to be serving and haven't been serving Despite looking at, you know, the average age of community college students may look older, but that doesn't mean you're actually serving those students. Um, we've been supporting and advocating for credit for prior learning or prior learning assessment. So the California community colleges have really focused on changes to support their institutions in executing it in a comprehensive, coherent way that supports students. The California State University, likewise, is revising its policy. So we think that will have a big impact on, on, at the very basic level, the sense of belonging that you could tell students like, hey, you've done college-level work. Um, but also, of course, the reality of, and it counts and helps you get through your program faster and, and at less cost. Little things matter in the bigger scheme of things. And while... Policymakers and college administrators are sitting around thinking that how much it's going to cost me to do. Think about what it costs you not to. They'll find the reward is insurmountable. I went and got a master's degree because of how Chestnut Hill treated me as an, an undergrad. I wouldn't have done that if they didn't make me feel like I belong there and I was a part of their school community. So if they really want to do well by the student, then treat them as they want to be treated. You always keep coming back to, well, the disparities earlier in life are part of the reason why we see inequity at later life stages. To get another perspective on the impact of Kim's journey, I reached out to a passionate advocate for lifelong learning. Jennifer Schramm is with the American Association of Retired Persons, where she serves as Senior Strategic Policy Advisor at AARP's Public Policy Institute. And that's across various issues from health to income to retirement preparedness. 
So as we started to work on this issue of workforce disparities and earnings and things like that, we started to just realize that we, ha- we have to do something to address education disparities. I think what really kind of sealed it for me that this is a disparities issue, really, when an older adult is able to obtain their degree, it increases the likelihood that younger family members will also obtain a degree. And that really, that was a really important data point for me because it it goes back to that um, generational interconnectedness. So I really believe that uh, older adults can be role models and leaders in their families and their communities when it comes to educational attainment. So over time, we can hopefully play a role in lifting up communities that have faced barriers when it comes to education, because through lifting up adults, older adults, we can help them be leaders in their communities and in their families. This is the most confident I've been in my life. Never underestimate you. Never underestimate you. And of getting my degree um, allows my daughter to see the possibilities. One thing I can tell her, and, and um, I made a point of, of keeping uh, dust on one particular frame there, and I said, no matter how dusty that picture frame is with that degree, it still works. And as a result, she applied to, I believe, 14 colleges or 15 colleges, and she was accepted to 12. She had over $2 million in scholarships, I believe, and she chose Temple. <laughs> I want people to know it's okay to be human. It's okay to ask for help. You're not the only one, and no one says you have to take this journey solo. It took a village for me to get where I am. Yes, my name is on a degree, but on my dissertation, I'm going to have a lot of acknowledgments in my remarks paper because it's important to share that I didn't do this alone. It may not be where you expect it to come from. I've gotten help from complete strangers, but that's okay. The goal is to win. Where it takes me from there, uh, I'll leave it up to God. He's doing an awesome job, but I know being credentialed and degreed gives me the tools to be prepared for what's to come. A huge thank you to Kimberly Lowe Sawyer for sharing her story with us. I also want to thank our guests, Marianne Rainey, Sujin Jazz, Paul Harrington, and Jennifer Schramm. You can learn more about our work and theirs at movedbydegrees.org. If you're curious about the banner, there's a picture of that there too. This podcast is produced by me with my colleague, Bridget Strickler, along with Pat Ganley and Michael Schweisheimer of PWP Video. Since the beginning of Graduate, they have been great partners to us and specialize in creating media with a mission. For more of their work, visit pwpvideo.com. Our closing theme song is by Comebacker Be Still of the Nappy Roots. Our next episode in Season 1 is The Angel on My Shoulder, featuring Eva Gamez. Subscribe and stay up to date wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sally Glickman, and this is Moved by Degrees. Thank you for listening. Never underestimate you. Never underestimate you. Hey.